there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Here we are. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Ripple Effect with me, James Alcott. This is a brand new Spotify original podcast with the ringer, of course, as well. And I am so excited to get started. For those of you who don't know, my name is James Alcott and I have a football YouTube channel. I talk about football for a living on that channel. I'll talk about tactical elements of the game, but of course, the soap opera of it as well. And that's the big thing when it comes to this podcast. I think you're really going to enjoy the exploration of it. So the ripple effect is a podcast where we look at the ramifications and the consequences of probably, you know, 60, 70% of topical talking points, because I think any moment can just create so many moments moving forward, some that won't happen and we'll just be exploring and, and figuring out what they could could happen. But also looking back, moments that have led up to the iconic moments that you have enjoyed as a football fan. There's so much scope when it comes to this podcast and this episode of it is a great example of that. We dive into the rise of Stefan Bacetic at Liverpool and what could be the consequences of that rise with Liverpool struggling, is that going to lead to a change in their big decisions moving into the summer months and obviously for the rest of the season as well? And just how good is Pichetic? We're going to dive into that. We're going to talk about Jesse Marsh and his possible move at the time of recording to Southampton as manager. Could he send Leeds United down? What would be the ripple effect of him taking that job both for Leeds United, for Southampton and for the US men's national team? And we're going to dive into some of your ripple effects as well. We want you guys to get involved. So keep an eye out on my Twitter at James Alcott, A-L-L-C-O-T-T. I will always want to get you guys involved. For those of you who know my content, it's always about you guys and talking about the talking points that you are excited about and hopefully we can look at loads of different angles not just the bombastic extreme views on things but explore what could happen what might happen what should happen i'm joined by the wonderful editorial director of the ringer christopher ryan full name for christopher uh, chris is an absolute hero and and offers up so many interesting angles to the beautiful game and to just general discussion. So much to enjoy. So sit back, relax and enjoy the first ever episode of The Ripple Effect. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chris Ryan, the Chris Ryan. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So good to see you. Congratulations on this show. I'm so excited to be a part of the first one. It had to be you. It was always you, especially on Valentine's Day. It just feels right, doesn't it? We have, what's funny here is obviously you guys will be able to see uh, both clips on my YouTube channel, but also the full episode of the podcast uh, on Spotify. And I know this is breaking a rule early on, but so for those of you who don't know, just to visualize, both got hats on, both got glasses on. <laughs> Both got green tops on, um, representing Spotify as much as we can. So um, I feel like we're in sync here. And That's this right. is going to, we literally look like we could be in the boy band in sync because we are got essentially the same uniforms on. Um, so it's exciting. It's like a middle-aged boy band with with Nike dad hats on. Yeah, I'm wearing yeah. an Eagles hat for anybody who's not watching the video just because I, I can't let go of the dream of the Super Bowl just yet. <laughs> So uh, yeah, hopefully you're you're able to vent that on a on a separate podcast. Although someone who was at the Super Bowl this weekend uh, is a part of this first episode of the Ripple Effect. We are so excited to get started that there's so many. The running order could have got longer and longer and longer, but we're, we're going to try and keep it tight and tasty. And we're going to start off with a few sort of little mini ripples. Just to get you guys going, just to get you guys understanding what's happening. Uh, keep an eye on my Twitter uh, and you can get involved. We've got some really good ones coming from you guys. Uh, I put a tweet out yesterday. Uh, so just to reel off a few of those. Chris, you're a Liverpool fan. Uh, a very enjoyable victory uh, against Everton for, for you guys. I'll kick us off, actually. This first one, this popped into my mind watching the game. Now, the game finished 2-0 and we're going to talk about uh, Bacetic and his performance a little bit later on in the podcast, uh, which are really interesting ripple effect that we can dive into but I saw Connor Cody make a mistake last night Liverpool born and bred fan Connor Cody and just to kick us off with the first ripple effect something happened to his leg in that moment he could have cleared the ball but the ripple effect of a man being that ingrained in the body of work that is Liverpool Football Club I think that played a part in that second goal. I think there was a moment at Anfield where he switched off for a second and he thought, oh, no, I'll leave it. We're in here. And the goal <laughs> occurred. A very, very mini ripple effect just to kick us off there. But the game itself and that first goal, that Jonathan Hartley tweeted me saying this, 100% Tarkovsky hitting the post last night was a ripple effect. In the game, Liverpool go and score. The bigger picture, uh, of course, is what does that result mean for Liverpool and Everton's respective seasons? Let me throw that to you, Chris. Like That was, I mean, incredible ripple effect in terms of going from one end of the pitch to the other and how that hurt Everton because it completely changed the... the the state of the game and the the mindset, I think, of the players, especially at Anfield. Um, but it was it was a massive, massive result for Liverpool, and uh, you guys needed it, didn't you? It was huge. It was it was essentially season saving. I think if you lose at home to Everton, who's fighting the drop, who are just powered by pure dice at this moment, you really like you have to like take a long look in the mirror about who's going to be back next season. And I don't necessarily mean Klopp there, but a lot of those players would have to have you know, a real like audit done on what they're doing. The great thing about that coming off the crossbar is it allowed Liverpool to score the quintessential Liverpool goal, mm. which is something that they so rarely get to do because teams sit so deep. Teams have started to sort of figure out how to like stop Liverpool from getting those thunder and lightning counterattacking goals. So they haven't had that. Let's make Anfield go off 
with this 60 yard run and a solid yeah. goal. And so it was great to see not only a goal, not only to get ahead in the match, get ahead in the derby, but also like a Liverpool goal. We haven't seen one of those in such a long time. I think it highlights as well how results kind of wash away everything and, and ripple over all, if you know what I mean. Because like Darwin Nunez, there's very few occasions where he gets that kind of space to you know, utilise an unbelievable strength that he has. Now, if you kind of take that as it is and go, well, you're not going to get many opportunities to do that. That's one thing. But the important thing is he got an assist. He was important. He showed a bit of vision and that led to them winning the game. Same goes with Trent Alexander-Arnold getting a, an assist. That actually comes from a lovely run from uh, Robertson as well. Um, so Robertson has a play, plays a part in the goal. Trent Alexander-Arnold gets the crossing, gets himself an assist, even if Conor Cody um, just forgot that he was playing for Everton and should have cleared it. It doesn't matter. And I think sometimes you just got to kind of get over the line and actually that's probably the same thing when we're talking about Everton and the rest of their season is the fact that they just need to get over the line it doesn't yeah. need to look great because actually even if it doesn't look great initially as long as it looks great on paper then that kind of changes the mindset of a lot of players fans the media absolutely everyone it really does come back to that because before that game Everton were on the <laughs> on the crest of a, a very tiny little wave that was just one game of football in terms of the Arsenal game but now all of a sudden you know you lose a big game like that against Liverpool and I think it was damage limitation at one point because he just thought let's not get embarrassed here let's not let the goal difference get out of control here yes yeah. exactly uh Taylor said this to me on Twitter. He said, the ref forgetting to draw the lines for Brentford's equaliser against Arsenal could seriously hamper momentum with what is an already tough game against Manchester City coming up. Absolutely huge, huge game. It's incredible that like human error can still play a part. And actually, I find that... <laughs> and obviously, this, look, this could come back and this could cost Arsenal the title. And that will be something that they will hook themselves onto. And I'm sure something that will revisit if Arsenal don't get over the line by two points or whatever it is. But uh, there was a sort of warm feeling in the idea that it does possibly even itself out over the season because I know Leeds United fans, and again, Leeds, we're going to be talking about you guys uh, later in this podcast. There was a moment earlier in the season when um, Gabriel should have been sent off and they, they overturned it and it was it was absurd. But again, it comes down to the subjectivity and the the human error that even in the robotic VAR that is uh, is in our lives these days, it still it still seems to even itself out. Like that makes me feel good. I'm okay with that. I love the idea of VAR being not unlike the hole in Lost. Remember the show Lost where the guy has to keep punching in the numbers or something bad happens so that there's this idea that this guy, if he doesn't put the line in, VAR just doesn't work. It's amazing. But, you know, this is the best thing about uh, European football to me is just that Essentially, it is a meritocracy. You play everybody twice. There's no playoffs. There's no you know, high variance situation. And ultimately, there will be a Reddit thread somewhere of Arsenal fans going through every single refereeing decision that went against them and why they did or didn't win the title this season. But at the end of the day, it probably does wind up evening out, even if it evens out with all these errors. Do you know what I mean? This will probably inevitably be its own episode of the ripple effect because i know and if you are that person uh, I'm, I'm speaking into a microphone but i'm speaking into your ears and i'm, I'm saying i'm sorry because <laughs> I, there are a lot of fans who uh, will be screaming going it doesn't yeah 
And in particular, you know, Patrick Vieira was speaking a little while ago. Um, he went after the Chelsea game. He was sort of screaming at the ref and he said after the game, he said, referees need to remember that there are other teams apart from, you know, those those big, big sides that we talk about so often. Um, but it will be interesting. I think that's something for us to sort of put a pin in, keep an eye on and see if it does actually even itself out over the course of the season. And if you are a fan of a team that that doesn't occur to make sure you sort of yeah keep an eye out on twitter and, and get involved with this podcast just to let, let's get to the bottom of that by the end of the season if, if we can but I, I like i like an element of it with vr because i think vr is a nonsense i still think it's a, a nonsense but it could actually lead to more um you know technical aspects to it in terms of trying to getting to a point where we don't have a guy who's got to draw, draw the lines yeah or like or like do we call it do we create new rules where we go just three lines uh, in in a passage of play how many lines are we drawing that's the thing um the last one i want to talk about rattle the woodwork this is a great one uh, for the first episode ben Tankor, uh injury you could see spurs because of Ben Tengor and he's been so influential, was huge in that Man City game, uh, went off, even scored in the last game against Leicester City, although they, they were useless in that one. Um, if he's out for the rest of the season, which he, it looks like he is, it could see Spurs out of the Champions League places, uh, maybe Europe altogether, although it's doubtful. If that happens, does Conte go? And if there's no Champions League, does that see Harry Kane push for a move in the summer? This is huge. This is one of the most... Dis- decisive injuries in terms of the way it could swing things. I mean, you're talking about a Liverpool team who's now won all of one game on the trot and has their, their eyes on the Champions League. But I was wondering whether or not the ripple effect of Betancourt's injury could be, it turns out to be the most, the most helpful uh, medicine for gallbladder surgery. Because if you're Conte and you're struggling to get back on that sideline and bring your, your usual fire and brimstone, yeah. and you're like, you know what? It's not happening. <laughs> I'm I just gonna. To save myself, I'm gonna be yeah. the, the new Antonio, the sort of the live and let live Conte. <laughs> well, there's a phrase in football. It's the hope that kills you. Yeah, and and uh, maybe that's maybe with with Ben Tenkel, Ben Tenkel's maybe saved a life here. You know, maybe he's going. To, Antonio Conte is going. I'm going to wash away that hope. Yeah. I'm going to stop taking those hope pills, and I'm going to go. Yeah, it's probably not going to kind of work out for me. It does make you cut. It puts a weird pressure on the Champions League games for me because it. I feel like weirdly because of how it feels with Tottenham and because Conte kind of is holding them up to ransom in the fact that he, his culture is so opposed to what Tottenham are kind of known for, but they yeah. kind of, it's jarring in terms of what they want to be is this Conte mindset, but Conte doesn't even want to hold their hand and, and pull them up. He's kind of up here sort of sticking his tongue out going, you know, join me or I'm off. And um, with Benteco missing and a squad where when you're thinking of different formations and ways of playing, I'm getting confused when I'm thinking if you go to a 3-5-2, then you can't play Kulosevsky now. Or if you're going to play another way, you've got to take another player out, but you haven't got the centre-backs for it. It's a very, very odd time. And it makes me think that if... They go out to AC Milan, who are in terrible form in the Champions League, and nothing else kind of happens, and they don't get in the Champions League for next season. There's no way he stays. No, I, don't think. I, I think that if that happens, Tottenham should do an almost American style re- rebuild where they take, they go get rid of Conte, bring in a manager who does really good youth development, sell Harry Kane, use the money to replenish the squad, 
and maybe it's one or two years outside of the Champions League and you hope to bring a new generation of players up. And that's one of the things that's going to be so interesting about the Premier League going forward is that if it's not a big four and it's not even a big six and it's closer to being a big 10, some of those teams are just going to have to be comfortable being out of Europe some seasons. Yeah. And, you know, not not falling out of the league, although obviously that's always a, uh, a danger. And one of the things that makes watching almost any Premier League match so exciting is because there's consequences. There's real consequences. Mm. But if I was Tottenham and this just seemed to be going wrong, I would just try to mitigate the damage. I would try to make this like a really celebratory and pleasant last season for Kane. If that's exactly what's going to happen, I would try probably go to him and say, how do you want to do this? You know, do you want to be able to yeah. like have like a really nice farewell to the fans and everything? And to Conte, I would just be like, you can't hold us hostage anymore. Because pretty much from the second he's been signed, he's been crying about the money, crying about the way the club does business, angry that he's the one who has to do the, do the press conferences, screaming at people to run harder. And, and, and it, it just doesn't seem like it's ever been a, a, a cultural fit, like you said. Yeah, I, d- I think it's it's going to be fascinating to see what Harry Kane does, what kind of money they would want to get for him, what could they get for him, who would want him uh, for a player who's 29. Yeah, it's like you'll never get the fee from when people thought they were prying him away from you. If you're a, yeah. a willing seller, it, it, I'm sure it's not going to be as much as it was two seasons ago or whatever it was. That's true. It's a dangerous place. And as we say, I, yeah, I can't see... Conte sticking around it just it's the cycle that comes with him which then leads to the possibility of the Poch return yeah so Ben Tanker could lead to Poch returning back to Tottenham at some stage which would be fascinating there needs to be refreshment there for sure and we were talking about it we did the live show on Friday which was amazing and if anyone was there thank you so much well there were people there so thank (laughs) you for those people that were there Uh, Chelsea and Tottenham have the wrong managers they both suit each other so much better yeah. Um, but again, Chelsea are trying to move in a different direction. And actually, with Potter, weirdly, there was a couple of moments in the, the game at the weekend. Something just like hit me and I was like, oh, maybe they will click. And if they do click, Potter's perfect. Sure. And it will just be like, you have to kind of give him that credence by sticking with him. And that's going to be an interesting thing. But they're so different. You've got Potter who's just like what is going on here? Like this embarrassment of riches. Uh, maybe I, it'd be nice to stick around. Whereas <laughs> Conte is kind of going, yeah, again, not even flirting with anyone else. He's just like, he's just miserable. Just, uh, yeah. He's just, yeah. He just doesn't want to be there. Does he? Again, it's the culture change there. Right guys. So those are some smaller ripple effects. We're now going to dive into the big ones. Stay here. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddle boards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Right then, Chris, let's dive into a ripple effect that's been on your mind. Uh, You brought this one to the table, so thank you for that one, Chris. Um, But it's about a player that is exciting a lot of people. Uh, on Merseyside, less so Everton fans, more so <laughs> Liverpool fans. And it's uh, Bacetic, who has come from nowhere, really. And certainly in the Everton game, and, and I think... So my angle on this, and this is going to annoy Liverpool fans, I'm sure, is is a bit calmer, drifting towards negative if you're not super positive. But actually, the truth is, I'm just trying to kind of stay stay calm, stay on my Temporary feet with expectations, this one. yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, yes. It's been three or four uh, matches. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, because I think it's it's easy to go that that road, and I think there's some trappings here. Um, 
But Bacetic in that game was fantastic and he feels incredibly at home at this level, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, the thing that he did, first of all, may, maybe the fastest 0 to 60 I've fallen in love with a player in my in, in my life. When you see someone like that, I don't know, do you have one like that where it's like it was one or two matches and you're just like, Matt, this is my favorite player." Do you want a very a, quite a similar player actually. I'm sort of so I'm a sucker for a guy who's slow but plays in midfield and makes the game feel slow. Yes. I always have a I always have a feeling on football that you have players that make it look like you're playing in fast forward or they're playing in fast forward, and then players who just slow it down and calm it down for everyone. And I wanted to be that guy because I was slow, but I um, but I wasn't. Um, but the players, so the players like that could do that. There was a guy called Ali Fowlin, who everyone who knows my channel, everyone who knows me, will know that he was my guy. He was a you know QPR player, beautiful left foot, incredible vision, three touch player. But very, very much like Tiago, and so like the other players I love are like Perlo and Paul Scholes, and yeah. as I say, Tiago Alcantara is yeah, Raquel mate, yeah, of course, just gorgeous players who know a little bit too much, and so they kind of see the past before you've seen it, and those those are one of the wonderful things when you're at a game when you go, why has he made that? Oh, I love an oh, and <laughs> that's what yeah, and Bajetic, do you know what? You know, I think he's a bit more all action than that. To be honest, oh yeah, but he's got you know he's got some vision. So the first thing that he did that I I noticed watching the match and then looked at some of the the heat maps just to sort of confirm my my suspicions is that he's he freed up Andy Robertson. You know he actually did do the funneling that you're supposed to do and the the sort of that midfield is responsible for allowing Trent and Andy Robertson to move forward to get their crosses in to be the dynamos that they are and that's one of the reasons why Liverpool has been so open to counters and open to goals this season is that they just seem to have that kind of mechanism has broken down and he immediately you can see he's just all over that left wing Mm -hmm. filling in for Robertson as he's bombing forward the other thing he does is uh not wear shin pads while playing DM, which I think is just an absolutely <laughs> boss thing to do and don't understand. He was getting like stuck in and I was like, watch your, watch out, man. You're 18. But here's the ripple effect. So let's just say here we are. We're on the start of the roller coaster. It's going up. Everything's beautiful. This kid's 18. A, a, another Liverpool development miracle, just like Trent, just like, you know, it's like we've, we've unearthed this gem. What if the ripple effect is that it negates the need to buy Jude Bellingham? And that the rise of Bacetic is, is makes it so that you take the money you were going to spend on Jude Bellingham and you essentially use that as Coutinho money. So Coutinho is, was sold for $142 million and they wound up buying Van Dyke and Allison for it. Essentially, completely rebuilt the club with those two purchases, the buying a new spine of the team. Mm. And Liverpool need more than just one player. You know, Obviously, they also need to move some guys out, but... What do you think about the idea of taking multiple bites at the apple rather than putting all of your chips on Bellingham, who admittedly is already world class, not much older than Bacetic and is and is an England international and is going to be a huge star. And if you miss this opportunity to get him, you may never get it again. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Like he's when I'm watching him. Like you say, there are those sort of there is an element of Thiago there. I think him playing alongside Fabinho um, allowed him to sort of be a different kind of sort of box to box but you're not he's nowhere near the goals it's more sort of width to width if that makes sense yeah and and being able to be a bit more um hectic in terms of going and getting the ball and and if you watch him he does he wins a lot of tackles he does feel like that kind of player that is really irritating and you're thinking how's he 
how's he ever wriggled through that with the ball or how has he got the ball? I thought I was fine. Um, the concern I would have is if people were going a little bit too early on this. Now, I think he's a wonderful player, but I also looked into his stats and his stats are fine. His stats yeah. are absolutely fine. But I think the sort of context and the environment of which he's thriving is not actually the sort of um, the environment that they that their their end goal you know gets to if that makes sense so like often you will see this in when a team is struggling they will look around and they'll look to the substitutes bench and go is the answer there and then they'll look to the Mm -hmm. youth and they'll go is the answer there and when they look to the youth like that that's fine because you'll give them a a free pass and i'm look People will have me wrong when they're thinking I'm not rating Bacetic. I rate him. I really, really do. I just think as much as that's a Merseyside derby, that's a that's a terrible Everton team yes. who played badly. And in particular, a team that could have offered more in midfield, but had so little um, higher up the pitch that they didn't know who to pass to. And so in terms of making those tackles and stopping them, from that point of view... That suits Pachetic. And from the other side of it, you know, in terms of being able to use the width of the pitch and play those passes, again, it's not his fault. You can only be as good as you are against the players that you're playing against. And he's definitely good enough to dominate a game against Everton and this midfield, especially when they're playing as narrow as they are. But I would say that as much as you're saying putting all your chips, you know, putting all your chips on um, Bellingham, You've got to be careful in terms of putting all your chips on Bacetic. Yeah. Because I think Curtis Davies uh, was... Curtis Davies? Am I saying the right Curtis name? Curtis Jones. But I was Curtis just Jones. Say, Curtis Davies. Yeah, I'm yeah. getting my centre-backs. I watched Curtis two Jones. Curtis Jones matches and I was like, that's Pirlo. That's, well, that's we have it. See, see, yeah. So there's, uh, there's a phrase on my channel where we go, one must beware hubris. And it's, it's very true, I think, in this instance. Just because... That's a lot of pressure to put on a guy as well. And to put on a guy who, I think the difference, say, with the Belling, Bellingham, Bellingham's box to box, but he wants to get into the box and score goals and, and be higher up the pitch. Bacetic is a little bit different to that. And so, and also when he's got kind of Fabinho by his side. Now, he's looked great in other games as well. So again, I, I, you know, I sort of ram home that point that I think he's awesome. And he's 18. So it is so, so frightening. But what we do know is that players, you know, success isn't linear. And especially in football. This is the thing that I think is so interesting with, with everything that we're going to keep talking about is that you, there, there are almost like thoughts ingrained in us all now at this point. And I think we're going to get onto it. We're going to talk about Jesse Marsh and the manager situation, which is so juicy. I can't wait to talk about that. But you can kind of go, oh, we're struggling. We won a game. He's young. He's the answer. We're okay now. Off we go. And I don't think that is the smart way to to go about it personally. I think Bellingham's proven it for a good few years now. And what you really want is those two together. Um, And I think elsewhere, you're pretty much set. For me, if I had that money... And yeah, this is the problem as well with the ownership. Of, don't know. We, we don't. Yeah. Is it? We don't know what the budget is, and if it's if it's yeah. allocated for Bellingham or if it's allocated for other players that were in pre-contract agreements with that Liverpool mm. has historically done in this sort of ownership period has been like, oh, we've had this guy locked down for, but he can't come in January. He's coming in in the summer. But you're right. 
yeah, it's 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 dangerous. And I know I'm I'm contradicting myself here because I think Bellingham is that guy, and I think you only get he's it's like Haaland for me with Bellingham because I think you're going to get ten years of of someone who's just I I think is wonderful and impactful in a very different way to Haaland. Haaland scores goals and is is brute and scary. But if the game's not kind of working for him, he can't go and grab it. And there are so few players that still do that. And um, I think, look, Pedri in that Barcelona system is one of those kind of players. Mm -hmm. Uh, You could say a similar thing about Gavi, but I think Pedri's above him at this moment. But Jude Bellingham, I feel like, is one of those players. I saw him at the World Cup a couple of times and I was just like, wow, like it's this is sort of like you're a young lad and you're playing like you're playing a school game where you're getting a bit annoyed and go, well, give it to me and I'll sort this out. So I think it's a kind of, it, for, a, for a club that can't compete time and again in terms of spending the money that Man United are inevitably going to be able to do, Man City have been able to do and Chelsea are currently doing, I just think you can't miss that moment. I think actually the Coutinho element of it is if you, is if if you, you could get him and you don't. Yeah, so I mean, I think that to your point, and maybe I'm just uh, this is sort of my the bubble that I'm in reading and, and ingesting a lot of Liverpool media is that there is a suggestion that there is an affinity for the club on his part, right? That Madrid is in for him. That world football powers are interested in yeah. Bellingham, but that he is very good friends with Jordan Henderson and very good friends with and idolized Gerard. Gerard's his guy, yeah, 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 yeah. Like he, like it's lining up. It might not line up for the next guy. You know, it might not yeah. be. You know, it, it it might not be that next time somebody comes along. It, uh, Chulameni was is an example of somebody who was like, I think they had basically put all their eggs in that basket, mm-hmm. and he was like, nah, I'm going to go to Real Madrid. That sounds better to me. You know, so you're right. Like I, I think that it, if you have an opportunity to get somebody like Bellingham and actually have him for the entirety of his prime, more or less, you have to take it no matter what. And I hope that that's what they're saying to each other in offices at uh, uh, at Liverpool. What will be interesting, and hopefully we can talk about it on the Ripple Effect, is that game against Real Madrid, especially at Anfield, because Bacetic will be playing in that match. And and yeah. that's where I'll go. That's where you'll win me. That's where I'll go, okay, this is a bit different. This is a Champions League night, you know, when the club's not totally been where they want to be. Not not a Merseyside derby against a team that is quite possibly championship. Um so yeah, well, time will tell, but maybe that will be, maybe the ripple of head uh, ripple effects a little bit further down the road. Well, the, the, ultimately, what I saw from that derby was that Bacetic's presence, and maybe it's down to him, and maybe it's just the way I want to see it. Let everyone else play at the best as their best selves, and that was the first time sure. the Sala Gakpo uh, Nunez front line kind of coalesced. And came together. It met, it seemed to revitalize Fabinho. It seemed like it revitalized Jordan Henderson, who I think we're seeing probably can only play once a week, if that now going forward. And he's obviously the club captain and is this amazing figure within the club, but may not be able to play the two to three times a week that Liverpool are hoping to be playing going forward. So you're going to need depth mm-hmm. in midfield. Uh, you know, if Bellingham and and, and Bacetic going forward, like that would be. Can you imagine having that be the foundation that you're building your club on for the next decade? And I think that, you know, it's interesting. We're going to see we're going to see 10 year periods of players, I think, because people are wanting to save that money. And and if they are all as good as they all seem to be and all seem to cost, then, you know, you could have Bellingham and Bacetic in that midfield there. And then, you know, at Chelsea, you've got. 
Enzo and uh, Mudrik and, you know, Mount, if he can get himself back to, to where he certainly wants to be in terms of someone who's won player of the year for them previously. Like, and then you move across and Foden's going to be there for a while. And, you know, who's going to be Declan Rice? Is he going to make his way to Man City? It's interesting that next like generation of or players is he at Arsenal are, are coming soccer. through. Right, exactly. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's move on to... This is fascinating. So, <laughs> Jesse Marsh... It's just like the ripple effects are rife in this one. This is a car crash of ripple this effects. This is, wow. I mean, so sacked by Leeds eight days later at the time of recording. Um, it looks like he's going to become the Southampton manager and what that could create. Um, in terms of, the, I think, the minds of owners moving forward, but also right in front of our eyes, you could have the manager of Leeds United going to Southampton and sending down leads, um, but also not becoming the US men's national team manager. Mm -hmm. He is the sort of most qualified manager in the running for for that job at this moment. And it's an interesting one to start off with the sort of uh, US men's national team before we bring it to, to the sort of leads element of it all. And uh, yeah, again, at the time of recording, it's not it's not done and dusted. So we will see. Um, but the, the move to the, the men's national team uh, of the US in what is such a crucial four-year period, um, what's odd here is that the, they're looking to, they're not going to hire a head coach until the end of the summer, yeah. um, from supposedly. And uh, I've forgotten his name, Greg Berhalter, is it? Berhalter, yeah. Berhalter. He's one, he's got sort of, you know, they went down that MLS route, and went with a guy that the disdain for him when I spoke to US fans was incredibly high. <laughs> uh, and, and I thought he did an okay job at the World Cup, but it's, it does feel yeah. like they they need to, maybe a bit like a Tottenham when we were talking about it earlier, they need to go, okay, no, we know we've tried these kind of guys. We need to go and get that guy now that's going to kind of take us to, to the next notch and, and be someone who can really represent this team at this World Cup because 2026 with that squad and the young players that you've got there is obviously, you know, someone who's kind of excited, you know, you're going to be excited about that. And it does seem like the obvious choice for Jesse Marsh to go go and be a part of that. How would you feel if he doesn't, you know, take that gig? Um, I would feel okay because I think that the U.S. soccer community, but also especially just men's soccer and the national team needs to have a, a think about whether or not they need somebody to be the avatar of a project, which has sort of been the language that they use around this job since Klinsman. Wow. And this idea of like the national team manager is responsible for the root and branch development of all soccer in the country, you know, and that this is essentially the top of a pyramid of development and that they are changing the way people play throughout the country and that they are going to find all these uh, developmental projects throughout the country all around and, and you know, he's scouting Europe and that this guy is going to create this identity for the national team versus maybe you just need a coach, you know, maybe, maybe just you just need a guy who's really, re, get, get, you know, somebody who's just really good at tournaments, you know, yeah. and there might just be somebody who's like, you know what, I know how to, I know how to navigate a tournament. I know how to keep guys sane when they're spending a month in a hotel. I know how to set up to get just the right amount of points in a group. And I know how to play knockout football. And mm. I think that we've overemphasized all the developmental stuff and all the cultural stuff and all the philosophy stuff. And we've just kind of lost sight of just like, how about you be good at coaching and know how to run a tournament? 
And I'm I'm sort of so if Marsh doesn't do it because I know that if Marsh did take that job, it would be that would be what his remit was. It would be Jesse's going to lead us into this brave new world as we host the World Cup and we have our greatest chance ever at success in the World Cup. And it, honestly, at, at the end of the day, if the, if you told me Jose was going to manage the Americans in the World Cup, I think I I think I'd I'd like our chances better. Yeah, I think there'd be some fun with that for sure. And also, Jose, great times over here, man. <laughs> you could live in Los yeah, Angeles. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like there's worse things in the world. I think that could suit everyone to a point. Like, I think he would ab- absolutely love uh, a job like that. Um, I think the thing with Jesse Marsh as well is if if he takes a Southampton job, which I don't hate, by the way. Um, some people, because I heard some people talking about, well, he's just got sacked from job one job, so he can't take you know he can't be good enough well, it doesn't work like that like that's like the one thing you're guaranteed i think jose Mourinho said this to frank lampard who, who isn't a good example of this but jose Mourinho is a good example of this is that you're only a manager once you do get sacked right like, until you've been sacked you're not truly a, a football manager now leeds united uh, something didn't totally fit there i think there was a desire for the leeds united fans to sort of be on board with it um, but what I I do I don't hate this one for a couple of reasons. First of all, you had Ralph Hasenhutl, who's from that RB Salzburg, you know RB Leipzig, Red Bull um, stable, and obviously there's similar links to that, so there'll be an understanding of it. I think him and the owners put together this sort of handbook whilst they were together because Hasenhutl was there for a long time, and this handbook of how they're going to move um, going forward. They obviously went away from that, and it was pretty pretty disastrous so bringing Jesse Marsh back in despite it not going the way that he wanted it to at Leeds United and and again we this is the thing with managers as well you don't actually know if they would have gone down mm-hmm. you know you're only like three victories away from being okay again so him going in there it it could work out and what I do like about it is I like the Leeds United getting relegated angle because I think Southampton needs something to get <laughs> that's, the- gonna, that's gonna get clipped <laughs> And replayed a lot. Yeah, sure, I sure. like yeah. Leeds United getting relegated, dude. <laughs> but but I, do, do you know, what I like it from it is a, the psychological ripple effect of that. And, and what I mean by that is the fact that us, Southampton, I think, feel a bit lost. Uh, I was listening to um, the Saints score, which is a Southampton podcast. And they were talking about one guy was kind of going, oh, let's just leave it. Let's mm-hmm. leave it for now. Let's get a manager in that we n- want to be there next year and then we can kind of go again. And go- Well, like, hang on. You, you know, you they need galvanizing. The club needs galvanizing. The club needs energy. And actually, I think... I think Jesse Marsh going into that kind of job and if he can... If he can um, muster that same kind of energy and like low key kind of like say to the, the PR guys and all those guys because the first game uh, if he was to be the manager would be Chelsea I think the second game is away at Leeds United oh my god at Ellen Road <laughs> but do you know what sometimes when there's that little bit add that little bit of needle to something you'll stop thinking about oh no look behind us we're going down here and you'll start going nah, come on let's like Enjoy, embrace the yeah. the anger of it. Do you know what I mean? Embrace the nastiness of it. And I think that's something that Southampton have probably been, that's been a miss when it comes to them over the years, is that they don't have that, certainly don't have that game management in games, but they don't have that nastiness or something to sort of hook onto. And I think that could be something that, that could be really nice. And so if that is something that they've stumbled across with Jesse Marsh, that's great. But if they don't, and it, it isn't him, I do wonder if another option, be it for Leeds United, 
or be it for uh, Southampton, is thinking about the revenge appointment. And Rafa Benitez is a similar revenge appointment yeah. that could could be a new route where, like, I think there's two sides of this when it comes to the, the sort of managerial space is that Leeds United have made a massive mistake here where they might lose a manager to a rival who will have incredible intel on Who's your gonna players. Who's going to come in and, and coach against them for a six-pointer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, and have so much knowledge on them uh, and I think will excite his you know that group of fans because of the scenario that they're in so you know that happens in the states in like an nfl where they'll cut a guy and then the guy will sign with the team that the the former team is playing next week and he just brings the playbook essentially really and he's just like yeah here's what they're going to do against you guys and here's what like here's all the language of their play calls and everything it's all fair game but it's like this is essentially that i mean if jesse marsh walks into southampton he's like here's how we're going to beat leads and if they beat leads and if they were even to beat leads three nothing I mean, that would be that would be stunning. But I also think, you know, like, the mistake that Leeds have made here is that they've gone, oh, it's not working. And what when is what? Sorry, what month is it? It's January, is it? Oh, OK, it's January. Oh, was the transfer window finished? Yeah, it has. OK, so what what happens now? How do we get like a response? You sack the manager. Yeah, that's it. You sack the manager. Have we done that yet? No, we haven't even done that yet. OK, great. We'll get rid of him. We'll, we'll sack the manager. OK, he's gone. Right. Let's get the new guy. Silence. You know, people turning the job down. You've not got that set up. People aren't naive to think that. Oh, okay, we won't, we don't talk to managers until until we make a decision on our manager. That is utter rubbish. It sounds like the technical director of Leeds has been on, on enough group chats to like need a new <laughs> data plan. He, he every story is like he's been in touch with him since last year. He's been in touch with him since two thousand. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. What I don't understand is firing your manager without the next guy next on guy a plane ready. coming. The fact that they're going to use a different interim coach in their next match, the fact that this team is now spiraling, you essentially have a roster that can w- was built in the image of Bielsa, so you can't ask you can't really get an escape artist, you know, Roy Hodgson, Sean Dyche type. Or, That's yeah, all right. Or it's certainly risky, isn't it? Lock it up it's at the back. We'll get risky. one on a yeah. set piece. It's all good. Like they have to play a certain way. And mm. I don't, they obviously have gone to the guy at Fire Nord. They got, went to the guy uh Real. Like they, they, they can't find anybody to leave their club mid season. They're, they might get the guy who got fired by Ajax a few weeks ago, but they're running out of time. Well, that's it. And I think moving forward, I think people will, will be wary of doing this because they will go, so first of all, is there this new way of doing it where you do the revenge appointment, knowing that this could last six, seven months and it will be what it is. So bringing in someone like Rafa Benitez, who then shoots down Everton and you've got Harsen who goes to Leeds just to, just to kind of match it all up so they can yeah. sort of stop the, stop sleeper the power agent. of the yeah. of revenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that might be one side of it. But the other side of it might be that, you know, yeah, th- this sort of there are certain ideas that certain amount of games mean that you, this guy's got to go. And I do wonder if at some point someone will dig their heels in and go, no, no, he's, he's here. He's here for the foreseeable because it's weird how it's gone from it used to be three, three years as a manager minimum. And mm-hmm. then it got less and less and less and less. And now, it, you know, it's uh, I'm hearing people going, Nathan Jones had his chance. He had his time. He didn't. He had eight eight games. It didn't go well. But that's not a fair data set. <laughs> it's yeah. just not. It's not a reasonable thing. So in terms of this figurehead guy that's got to have that gravitas, be able to galvanise people, that that turbo boost that I'm talking about, 
I don't think you're getting it as much anymore just because people are like are desensitized that, you know, no one's scandalized anymore. So is this ultimately what we're living in a ripple effect of of the Watfordization of, of football <laughs> management? You know, and the idea that you can just, you know, you just keep changing out guys until you find somebody who keeps you up or gets you into 10th or gets you into 9th. The necessity for extremity in the narrative of your manager. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it could go down that road. If, you know, like I say, if Hasenhutl goes to Leeds and then Benitez goes to, uh, who else is left? Southampton and, and so on and so on. I wonder if there, there'll be new sort of methods in terms of trying to get that that turbo boost that just... Uh, like easily arrived because all the players were like, oh, I might get a game now. That just doesn't seem to be there anymore. Um, but Jesse Marsh as well, you know, that the one thing that would be interesting is that in terms of that look for the American, uh, the US team, if he goes to Southampton, fails, gets sacked just in time to take the US job, right? the way he looks and is perceived, which again, I think is important when it comes to managers, sadly, actually, uh, that could that could hurt his time in that job so he's got he's got a big big decision to make the fact that the u.s uh u.s soccer is waiting till the end of the summer to make this decision i think there's also going to be a lot of upheaval and has been a lot of upheaval and the fallout for the geo reina situation uh which is essentially like kind of tore that team apart and and obviously was was really dark and also really wild and a classic american soccer parent story in a lot of ways but if uh, if they're waiting that long, they could still have a shot at Marsh because maybe Marsh gets fired again. You know, if Southampton mm. goes down and they're just like, well, you don't want to manage in the championship. So, I thought it was interesting that the West Brom manager turned them down. Uh, that turned down Leeds, and that seemed to be the guy that they had identified. <clears throat> and I was I was thinking, yeah, you know what? Maybe it is nicer to win in you know come in second in the championship. It looks like Burnley's going to win the championship, and Company's another one where you're like nobody's trying to steal Company from Burnley. Um, you know, he's he's got what he's doing and he's probably comfortable doing that and he's probably thinking about the man city job five years from now or three years from sure now. and sure it's like player development you know he's going this is what thing where i was disappointed with uh mick beale who was the qpr manager if you, those you don't know if you're listening for the first time i'm a qpr fan and he he sort of came to us it was his first job after doing brilliantly as an assistant manager and I always thought that he was, you know, drilling into his own development and going, let me have 46 games here instead of six games because I've just taken the job at Leeds uh, where it's not gone well and then I get the sack. Uh, I'm going to stay here and, and, and you'll be smarter for it, just like a player would go into the championship and get those 46 games and be important. And I think that's what Vincent Company has done. And it will be interesting to see which managers kind of go on and do that. But that's always going to come down to that. Managers themselves are interesting now because actually there's very... F- there's actually quite few um, footballers like Vincent Company that want to even go and do it because, know. you know, they don't need the money. They don't need the stress. They don't need the abuse. No, and they probably look at Gerard and Lampard and they're like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I like golfing. Well, yeah, exactly. Or it, So again, you, you better be ready for it at least and, ha- and have some of those air miles. Uh, let's move on to our last talking point, uh, which is just a bit of a fun one. I mean, will it be fun? Will it occur? This could be wild. It is a huge week for Manchester United. Uh, they are having new ownership uh, at some stage and you need to get your bid in by Friday. And 
Who would have thought it? Elon Musk, who tweeted uh, a few weeks ago that he might be interested, uh, continues to be, according to reports, uh, interested in making a £4.5 billion move to buy Manchester United. Outrageous stuff. Musk, he's got £157 billion and sort, it, sort of, yeah. Sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good point. And uh, he's up against uh, Jim Ratcliffe with uh, Ineos. And then some. In- we've got Qatari individuals. We've got Saudi individuals. And uh, poor Jim Ratcliffe's struggling with just 21 billion uh, to offer. Um, but they've all got to get their bids it's like a in. Ch- chimney sweep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Little yeah. rascal. He's got to get his. Uh, well, they've all got to get their bids in by Friday. Apparently, that's a, that's a soft deadline. So there might be a few guys just kind of who sneak in there. But Elon Musk, who I think last year, he broke a Guinness, uh, Guinness World Record for losing fortune uh, last year. He lost 150-odd billion, which was um, partly down to Tesla's stock, but also part to you know, the fact that he couldn't stop tweeting. Yeah, uh, That seemed to be the other big part of it. Uh, what do you think about about uh, Elon Musk, I, I've got a, I've got a consequence of this and, and his interest in this, which I, I find fascinating. But yeah, love to know what uh, what kind what's what's the world look like with Elon Musk as the yeah, what's owner the, of Man United? The ripple effect of Elon Musk being Manchester United manager, I think, would be that it would literally undo all the good work that has happened this season. And I only mean that because in their sort of slow, arduous exit stage left the glazers have kind of like sort of vanished from the scene right sure but what's defined this season for united it's the stability it's ten hog and it's like these guys getting better and knowing who your best players are knowing a style of play that you want to play and and kind of just reviving people's connection to the club because that looks like manchester united you know the way the way that they the way that they're playing right now looks like Manchester United and the way that they can have those counter and goals. If you were a Manchester United fan, the thing that you would want most, I'm sure, unlimited coffers and access to the world's greatest players and everything. But I would want stability. I would want just like, hey, let's just let's just cruise control. Let's let Eric cook. Let's let Rashford develop. We don't need to get involved in satellite disputes or spy balloon <laughs> controversies or anything. Let's just let these guys play. What do you think? I think the thing I find interesting about this, well, look, he's, you know, he's an interesting guy, right? And he's got a lot to say, um, but he's been incredibly successful. But what I feel like, I was thinking, what's kind of in it for him in terms of, he's always so, so forward thinking. And it sort of twigged in my mind when I sort of was reading this article and it was talking about how Man United, who obviously, you know, one of the biggest clubs in the world, they they have 34.9 million followers on Twitter. And fair enough, he owns it. But Musk has 128.9 million. And I then thought of like, oh, wow, his influence and, and the clout that, you know, he one enjoys, has built, but probably wants more and more and more of and and it's the reason why you know the local businessman will buy the really small club knowing he's not going to make any money and actually you then look at the business side of it and and man united bring in a huge amount of money so actually you know unlike other clubs that won't be able to kind of bring in the same revenue as man united you do have that as well so the mix of those two i find interesting but i I wonder how is is the ripple effect here what we're, what we're seeing very gently under the surface is actually kind of influence is more important than than money mm-hmm. like in terms of both uh 
being sort of a favorite to, to get something or to get something over the line and then so what you're going to do with it after that because that ability to to get to people's eyeballs is is so powerful well, look at and the, we're look seeing at, it look at Wrexham Look at Wrexham. Absolutely. I, I'm not like, I mean, like, like I, I couldn't point Wrexham out on a map two years ago. And now I feel like they get talked about as much as any Premier League club. And mostly because there's a steady stream of celebrities showing up to Wrexham matches. And that winds up getting written about a lot. But if you're, you know, if, if they get promoted, I mean, if they continue to play well, if they continue to, like, kind of build the right way, the oversized reputation of Ryan Reynolds and having Will Ferrell there and all that stuff is going to be huge for that club. I don't know necessarily that Elon has the same uh, kind of goodwill. Goodwill. (laughs) Yeah. Let's put it that way as Ryan Reynolds. And I think also that Elon's a meddler. Like I don't think he buys things just, you know, Jeff Bezos is an example of somebody who I think has obviously acquired a lot of different pro like, uh, companies throughout his time as, as running Amazon and he bought the Washington Post and sort of revolutionized their digital back end and changed the way that paper worked and you know he's now looking at buying a, an NFL team in Washington but he's somebody who I think uh, regardless of what you think about him it, he clearly has like a way of handling the companies he purchases yes and he tries to optimize them I don't know what Elon does he seems to like things like as if they're toys and to play with them so mm. be careful what you wish for I guess yeah, and I get you know he is someone obviously his you know his life has massively changed as time's gone along like maybe and maybe he has as well I don't know what the truth is there but yeah you're right you know if he comes into it that isn't you that that is the word the stability it cannot be there and I don't think he I don't think deep down he understands his own perception and that can be a really good thing I always sometimes think that like I was I'd love to be a bit more deluded I think it'd be a less painful <laughs> life in like in my soul right yeah but but and I think that those ruthless people sometimes don't yeah just don't care about that kind of stuff but you know when it affects your bottom line then so be it but I think the the bottom line for him uh, yes it is money but it's also I guess legacy moving forward but but you know, eyeballs and attention. And I think that's why he tweets so much. I think that's why he bought Twitter. I think that's why he even tweeted to say, oh, and I'm going to buy Man United as well. And why, when he gets close to it, buying some, it would almost be a frivolous purchase to him. Because like, why not? Like, and this is, this is, this is Man United, as Roy Keane would say. So like, <laughs> I, I wouldn't like, he probably won't buy it. He probably won't. He's probably just flirting. Probably just wants a bit of attention because everyone's talking about that today and and not him. But if he does, I would be, I wouldn't. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, people sort of wary of the Qataris and wary of the Saudis and wary of all that money. But, you know, sometimes you've got to be wary of, of the, the Western the electric car makers. Well. Yeah. Can you imagine yeah, being his exactly. accountant? You know, you get, you oh, get that word. notification in the middle of the night and it's just like, Thinking about buying Manchester United, it's like... God, well, he's not even going to tell you, is he? That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so, yeah, there we go. Uh, Elon Musk, if he comes in, we've got, you know, blue... Are we going to have sort of blue seats, silver seats, gold seats? Based on that, there's a oh, few the, things he could the do. The sort of, like, I have new ideas. There No seats, you know? People only get to watch through the metaverse. It's just going to be like... You know, oh, my word. Yeah, I, yeah. I, exactly. I, think, I, say, I think some of the, the Stratford head might have a problem with his... <laughs> His changes, yeah, sort of solar powered uh, 
uh, stadium as well. Is there any sun in Manchester? (laughs) No, exactly. Yeah, so that's dangerous. Yeah, you've got to be careful about those kind of things. I think it would be wild if he he got involved with it. And I think he's like, he wants a piece, doesn't he? I think he does. You can imagine that personality would want a piece of this. Well, I think we are interested in, you know, Elon's purchase, let's just say. Honestly, any, any of the possible buyers of this club, and obviously Manchester United is on the high end of what you could buy in the world, much less in the world of sports. But we are starting to drift into a world where that it, it, we're Manchester United to go for a world record fee, where we are truly living in a world where sporting clubs and, and franchises and teams are only available to the highest of the highest of the 1%. Mm. And does that accelerate the disconnect between like a person living in Manchester who wants to have a relationship to their local team does that sever that relationship? Does that become something that we talk about? That was something that happened in the 20th century and the early part of the 21st century. And now these teams play in one month, they'll play in Thailand and, and Riyadh, and then they'll play in Los Angeles. In and, space. Yeah, You're exactly. Playing in like, space and, 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 I, I don't mean to be dystopian, but it does, doesn't it feel like that this is the like first step towards that? Yes. I mean, and, and we've been, uh, I, I, you know, working in this world, like you, you have loads of these moments, like all the time. You know, I, I, when we finish here, I'm off to go watch um, QPR. I don't think we've won since October at home. <laughs> like, yeah. and, and, you know, dystopian's one word for it uh, in terms of thinking like what is the point of all of this um but i think the game will always i think we're just so fortunate that the game is the game like and and it will always allow opportunities narratives the underdog all those things and so you kind of have to hang on to that um but there are different worlds here you know there are different strats it's a bifurcation here. and it becomes like basically two sports and there's this yeah. there's the clubs that belong to people who can spend billions and billions of dollars or euros or pounds and they all play one another on mm. on special streaming television services and then there's like qpr plays middlesbrough and like yeah people, people go and watch and and that's because that's what their dads did and that's what their father's fathers did and i i just think i'm increasingly just becoming hard to imagine those two things existing in the same space do you know what it is it's like it's imagine a staircase and some steps you can just, it's just a step. It's one step per thing. But then there's one step that you go up and you get into the Premier League. And really to take the next step, you need to walk for a mile. Mm-hmm. And then there's the next step, next step, next step. And that's, you know, that's becoming, that. so a teams like Brighton and Brentford, Brentford are doing it incredibly quickly, but Brighton are a great example where they, they were in League One. You know, they were able to make those couple of steps up. Then they were in the championship for a while, you know, getting close, getting close. And you had to walk a couple of, you know, a mile or two. And then they went up and then it was just about that survival. And you have to walk, walk, walk as long as you can. And sadly, it's also kind of, you know, it's a slippy uh, staircase the higher you go up unless you've got sort of that safety harness of billions of pounds. Um, But it is, you know, it's the game that we're in right now. And you just hope that, you know, any day now there's a or at some point there's an article, there's a a, a statement that gets released and things start to change. Um, Because, again, we will always be kind of caught in the middle of all of it as as fans of the sport. It has, you know, it's always going to have to be the, you know, the people that govern the games. They have to kind of, you know, put their foot down to kind of change these things and and time will will tell. But yes, yeah. But it's still a good game, isn't it? It's still a good game. And uh, it's great. We still got things to love. It's all good. Um, Do you know what? That's been a really enjoyable first episode of 
the ripple effect. I'm so happy that you're doing this for us, man. Uh, I've been a huge admirer of your stuff for a long time. We got to hang out last week. And I think that for any of my American brethren who are listening, even if you're new to the game, check James out here because uh, I think you'll learn a lot. And it's just really awesome to be working with you, man. Yeah, me too. I think it's we're going to have some amazing conversations. And um, Chris is going to be on as much as I can get him on. Um, He's obviously a busy man. He just lives in (laughs) hotels these days. Uh, He's on day nine, bless him. Uh, And um, thank you to you, Chris, as well, because I know you're not not in the... uh, You've got COVID at the moment, so you're still hanging in there. Not even one cough as well. You've done really, really well there, mate. I was good at suppressing. Um, I've gotten good at, like, throwing them, basically. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well done. So, guys, um, this is The Ripple Effect. Uh, We're here to stay. Uh, I'm excited to dive into this. If you are here and you haven't sort of followed the podcast and clicked on the buttons that you need to click on please do so we're going to be here every single week um let me know on twitter uh, at uh, james alcott uh, and tell me the ripple effects that you see and w- all the ripple effects that you want us to talk about chris thank you very much thank you so much um, for having me producer jonathan in the background thank you very much and guys we'll see you next time for the ripple effect